But before I read the Word of God, um, I, I will tell you that uh, I've had so many requests to, uh, to preach through the book of Revelation that I cannot uh, ignore it any longer. So we'll be looking at Revelation, but before we do, uh, just a, a couple of uh, sermons as a way of preparing us for the blessings that are found in that tremendous book. Uh, but, but before I even do that this morning, I'm going to just put out a caveat, because I know that uh, this, this, what I'm going to say today in the sermon may, may uh, raise a couple of eyebrows for some of you. I am a convinced all-millennialist. I'm not going to make any embarrassing statements about that, except for the fact that I, I am uh, an all-millennialist by conviction. I, I believe that's the Bible's teaching. I recognize in our, in our, our denomination, under our confession, that uh, post-millennialists and all-millennialists have, have, have communion with us, and, I, and I'm glad for that. I, I have great friendships with many post-millennialists and a few all-millennialists. So, so what I'm going to say today is uh, in this sermon, uh, you, may, you may disagree with. That's okay. I don't care if you disagree with me. I really don't. All I'm asking that for today is, uh, is that you be like a Berean, that you take notes, you go home, you study it, you pray about it, and then you can come and talk to me. And I'll be very happy to sit and talk with anybody. But, but the point is that, that it's not going to just be an all-millennial sermon today. I just wanted you to know that. I'm trying to be exegetical. I'm trying to, be, uh, I'm trying to pull out of the text, not read into the text, if that makes sense. So, so with that being said, uh, and I'm trying to be respectful to all views, uh, please listen now to the word of God. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the sons of man, you will not see it. They will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of the part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things, be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying. They were being given in marriage until the day that Mo or Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating. They were drinking. They were busy uh, buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who's on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, 
Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be at the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Amen. You may be seated. Now, my friends, there's a lot in this passage that we're not going to be able to touch on today. But uh, right now, I think it's good as we look at this to remind ourselves that the theology of the Pharisees maintained Messiah would destroy Israel's enemies. The Gentiles would be brought into a true faith and peace and righteousness would cover the world. That was the theology of the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had been ministering for several years now. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to die. They don't know that he's going to die, but, but he's going on his way to Jerusalem. But just before, he, just before a text, Jesus had healed some lepers, one of which was a Samaritan. Now, from that perspective, it looked as if, as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, it looked as if he was about to declare himself Messiah. It looked like he was going to set up now his earthly kingdom. And so these Pharisees asked him, when is the kingdom coming? But if you look how Jesus answered them, he tells them that really they don't understand the nature of God's kingdom. Because he said, in one sense, the kingdom is already here. It's already here in your midst. See, that's what he told John the Baptist, remember? The blind sea, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, poor, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see, the king of the kingdom is conquering man's truest foes. The kingdom is here in Jesus' presence. However, while the kingdom is present in, in the, the sense of, for the purpose of salvation, the kingdom has not yet come for the purpose of judgment. But that judgment is coming. The things that the Pharisees were looking forward to is not yet here. And Jesus is saying that no one will escape that judgment. No one will escape that judgment. But the, here's the thing. Many on that day, many who think they belong in the kingdom, will find themselves coming under his retribution and vengeance. While others who were considered unfit for the kingdom will be brought into it. You see, the kingdom is not for the self-righteous or the unmerciful. The kingdom are for sinners who seek God's mercy. They will be brought in. And so, in these words of Jesus here in Luke chapter 17, he sounds an alarm. And he says, if you are spiritually asleep, wake up. And he's calling everyone to prepare for that great day of his glory. Because if you're not ready, you will be crushed by it. Well, again, the question is raised, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus answered by saying, the kingdom of God is already here. Now, now imagine the shocking news 
that came to them with those words. That would have been a completely shocking statement. It's unbelievable. Jesus, don't you know we're still under Roman occupation? We're still paying Roman taxes. We are oppressed by a foreign government. There is no messianic throne set up in Jerusalem. How can you say that the kingdom of God is already here? And so Jesus points out that the kingdom of God is truly here, but in a way they didn't understand. Again, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Jews had a certain understanding of the kingdom from their reading of the Old Testament passage scriptures. And Jesus is not denying that understanding. He's saying that he didn't say that their understanding was wrong. He's just saying it's not complete. In fact, uh, in verse 22, Jesus there calls himself the son of man. And this is not a, a, a statement saying, well, the, the second person of the Trinity became a man. It's not that. It, it is a messianic title from Daniel chapter 7. And in that prophecy... Uh, the Messiah was said to be given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Amen. Now, that's one of the places that the Pharisees looked to for their understanding of the Messianic kingdom. And again, they're not wrong. That kingdom said that he would rule the world with great power and dominion. And Jesus himself used that title of himself to feed in their expectations. But again, what were they looking for? An earthly, powerful, cosmic changing kingdom. Jesus is not going to deny that. He is going to bring that. The question is when? And so from there, Jesus warns him not to get caught up in the political movements. Josephus tells us that during that time, there were many men who called themselves Messiah. In fact, uh, uh, in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed because of messianic expectations, where, where zealots rebelled against Rome. But Jesus is saying, don't get caught up in those political movements. Because you see, the kingdom is not going to come through politics. The kingdom of God is not going to come through military might as the world understands it. He, he says that, that the kingdom and the power of the kingdom comes from an unexpected power, the cross. Look at verse 25. But first, before the, the, before the days of the Son of Man... Before his kingdom comes with that kind of power of judgment, first he, Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So again, we're seeing the messianic expectations of the world have always been in the promotion of human power and greatness, of, of changing culture and morality and advancing social movements. But Jesus' kingdom, according to what Jesus is saying here, is distinguished by humility. An apparent weakness. And it was on that cross of Golgotha that the power and the wisdom of God was manifested. And so it is that the cross 
is that which characterizes the kingdom. And again, to, to correct their misconceptions of the kingdom, as they were looking for a military political entity instead of a spiritual one, Jesus gave them an idea of the spirit of the age in which his glory will be manifest. See, again, the Pharisees were expecting a kingdom that would overthrow Rome, that would overthrow all heathen systems. They were looking for a kingdom that would convert the nations with righteousness, justice, and godly morality. It would have an external political power to it. But look what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Again, the kingdom that Christ is establishing is not a worldly kingdom that can be easily pointed to, but it is a spiritual kingdom. Now, now judgment and righteousness is certainly coming. He says that later on in the text. But before you get that kind of kingdom, that kind of kingdom that the Pharisees were expecting, first, again, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And even then, following his death and resurrection, the kingdom will move forward in an age that is described here in verse 26 as just as it was in the days of Noah. (laughs) So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. That's why Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, calls the time that we're now living in the present evil age. The present evil age wasn't before Christ, before his reign. No, it's now. And in other words, between his resurrection and his return, the kingdom will have a different kind of power. that won't necessarily remove a growing trend towards evil, but it will have a power that will save men and women through that tide of evil. Just as it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Again, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is saying that it's... it's, it's, It's not the majority of humanity that will be converted, but the church will go on in victory. It's not that the church will physically dominate the world as the Pharisees expected, but it will have a spiritual power that will save and rescue people even in the midst of intense Evil and wickedness. The second Helvetic confession, uh, written about 1556, I believe it was. One of the early confessions of the Reformed faith understood this understanding of what Jesus was saying here when it declared that we condemn Jewish dreams. And he said, before the day of judgment, the pious, this is what they're condemning, that before the day of judgment, the pious, having subdued all their godless enemies, will possess all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, The the second Helvetic Confession condemns what the Pharisees were looking for. It's a spiritual kingdom. Christ likens the age leading up to his return with the well-known period of Genesis chapter 6, 
where in verses 11 and 12, uh, 13, God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with, I'm about to re- destroy them with the earth. Again, in Noah's days, what were they doing? They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, of course, eating and drinking and marrying are the norms of life. There's nothing wrong with those. But the force of what Jesus is saying and the, the language is, is indicating this is an intensely, that was an intensely carnal era where people were given to gluttony and to drunkenness and immorality. And, and, and again, in verse 13 of Genesis 6, it described the earth as being filled with violence. And they rested in a carnal security where life went on without any thought about God without any thought of their sin or of judgment or of eternity. See, Jesus is pointing out here that the time of Noah was a very sleepy, unwashful, unbelieving age, which was even more odious because for 120 years they had a preacher of righteousness among them who told them of God's wrath, who was building an ark, a, 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 a city of refuge, a place of safety, a wonderful type of Christ. And the people of that age refused to heed the pleas. And if that's not enough, then Jesus goes on and he talks about the days of Lot, verses 28 and 29. And he says there, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. They were doing all these things that are normal, that are okay, that are legitimate. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Uh, You read about this in Genesis chapter 19. And you'll recall in that chapter, the angels of the Lord came to Sodom and, and told Lot, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The wickedness and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was so great that they were crying out to God, inviting his judgment. Now, my friends, you know, when you think of Sodom, we think of how the the men of that city wanted the two strangers to be given to them so that they might know them, a a euphemism for sexual acts, homosexual acts here. Romans chapter 1 mentions that homosexual practices are a judgment from God. As men reject God's revelation of himself and give themselves over to extreme carnal lust, God hands them over to unnatural and shameful behavior that they might destroy themselves with it. And, and, and what we get from the, the more a culture rejects God, the more you can expect the rise of homosexual behavior. But the fire and the brimstone that fell on Sodom were for more reasons than just homosexuality. Verse 28, the Lord stresses that it was, a, again, an age of trading. It was, a, it was a, a worldly labor. It was a place of sensuality, though, and false security. It was just like the days of Noah. 
Sodom's citizens were all engraced in the ordinary affairs of this life. As they increased in their wicked behavior, as violence grew among careless people, men and women without thoughts of God, no thought of repentance or of eternity or of judgment or of hell. And like those in Noah's day, all warnings, all pleas were ignored and they plunged themselves into yet further rebellion. And so none of them were saved except those who fled Sodom, who heeded the Lord's warning, fled to a place of warning, our safety. And Jesus is saying that's exactly how it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Now, the days of the Son of Man are not just talking only of the very last day of judgment. He's talking about this time period, this, this age in which he is now, that we're now living in, this age after his resurrection, where his kingdom is going forward. Now, I know every age thinks that it is the worst age. You, you read people from 150 years ago, and they will tell you this is the worst generation that's coming up. <laughs> but from Jesus' teaching, I think we should expect that. That before he returns, sin will be abounding. Violence will fill the earth. Carnality will be widespread throughout the whole earth. Indeed, the days of Noah and Sodom were notorious for wickedness and worldliness. And, and Jesus seems to say in our text this morning that the earth, especially that last generation, will equal those two eras of the past in unchecked, growing, and prevalent evil. And I think we could look at our own present time and, and see the truth of that growing. I mean, like Sodom, homosexuality is, is a global, widespread phenomenon. But it's gone beyond just being accepted to being applauded. But that's not all. Pornography is at epidemic levels of addiction. And with that, there's a sense of entitlement that continues to rise in our culture so that uh, people are becoming more and more ungrateful and conceited and arrogant. Narcissism is elevated. Many sociologists associate uh, the, the narcissistic tendencies of our of our. Uh, people to hostile and aggressive behaviors that are becoming more and more uh, prevalent in our, in our culture. In fact, statistics show that in our country, murder and violent crime is escalating to unheard of numbers. Racial tensions continue. Civil unrest has doubled in the last decade. Suicide rates have increased. These are all statistics that you can find on the internet. Don't believe it all, but, but, they're, but they are there. And, and while we can be glad for one thing right now, the United States is not involved in a war right now. The, the civil, I mean, the, the border patrol sees themselves in a war. They're constantly and actively engaged in dealing with both drug smuggling and human trafficking. And by the way, speaking of human trafficking, this is an international concern with an estimated 27 million people in modern-day slavery. 
And apart from all that, on, on another level, psychologists are observing a rise in sociopaths. Approximately four out of every 100 people, according to these, these studies, four out of every 100 people are suffering from sociopathic tendencies. What's a sociopath? Well, these people are described as, as those who are very charming, very charismatic. They, they have the ready smile and the warm, friendly handshake. But they have no fee, or they have no regard for the rights or feelings of others. They lack empathy. They show no remorse over wrongdoing. And they easily manipulate for personal gain or exploit others to to attain or achieve personal agendas. Do you know people like that? In other words, what the sociologists are warning us is that there is a growing segment of the population who are narcissists with seared consciences. They act in, in horrible ways. They treat people in very bad, but without sorrow. And again, they're saying this is contributing to an aggressive and violent nature of the culture that's, that we're in. Now, what does that mean? I'm not exactly all sure, but one thing I can say that, that Jesus' main point here is that he's going to return to a world that has been lulled into a sense of spiritual sloth and sleep by the devil. Again, we can be certainly concerned about how the world seems to become, is becoming a more dangerous place. It is a violent place. There is a swelling acceptance of sin. And we all see it. We all know that, right? But of an equal concern, perhaps even a greater concern, is how the world is carrying on as if it doesn't have to answer to God. Atheism and agnosticism has certainly grown around the world. But, but there's a bigger issue here that even in the church, people are becoming more secular, and, and, and there more and more people are becoming unaffiliated with religion altogether. It's not that they don't believe in God. The majority of people still believe in God. It's just that they don't care if there's a God. They care less. They couldn't care less about what he says. Now, there are places like in China, in the Middle East, and parts of the Middle East, where the gospel is making tremendous headway. But by and large... Secular statistics, and I'm not talking about religious, but secular statistics are showing that irreligion is actually on the rise more than anything else. And Jesus here, again, I think is pointing out from, from the time of his death until his resurrection, or, and his resurrection to the time that he returns, the spirit of the age, the character of the world, will be a growing wickedness that runs parallel with the kingdom's advance in the world. Again, unbelievers will be in great numbers, while believers and the godly will be very few, remnantly speaking, just like it was in the days of Noah and Lot. In fact, it will become so bad that in Acts or in Luke chapter 18, just the next chapter, look at verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That is a very telling question, isn't it? In Mark chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus said about those final days, unless the Lord has shortened those days, no life would have been saved. 
So Jesus warns us in verse 24, just like the lightning when it flashes from one part of the sky and shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Uh, when I lived in Park City, right out of college, I had the opportunity to experience lightning flashes a lot closer than what I may care for. <laughs> uh, there, uh, various weather patterns and fronts would collect in the mountains on a summer afternoon, and, and so we almost every day had lightning. But, but one day I was out in the field digging with an iron bar, and suddenly I smelt the air different. It, it had a burnt feeling, and I, I started feeling an electric tickle. And my hair then began to stand on head, and immediately I threw the bar down, and I ran away just in time because lightning struck that place, and I was thrown to the ground. Um, anyway, the, the point being is that you can't predict when and where lightning will strike. You just don't know it. But nevertheless, you are given signs. This, the air smelled, my hair went on you know, tickling. <laughs> You'd be a foolish not to pay attention. That's what Jesus is saying to us in, in, in a certain sense here. His appearance will be quick. It will be unexpected. But right now he's giving us signs that he's coming. And if you don't pay attention, maybe too late. Because like lightning, the end will come without any last warning. There'll be no time then to seek God, to call upon his name, to pray or repent. That's why Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Beloved, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Amen. Or Psalm 95, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. My friends, if you take anything away from today, this is it. Don't look at the signs necessary. Be ready. Be ready. Because Jesus' return will be like the flash of lightning. And there will be such suddenness to it that if you're not ready, you will be destroyed by it. Jesus warns how in these days of Noah and Lot, how those people neglected the opportunities that were given to. Just like the lightning, when it flashes, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Again, here is an indication of the speed of his appearance. But it also means that his coming will be a stupendous event. It's not going to be a hidden where only a few people see it. No, the whole world, there's not going to be a secret rapture here. Every eye will see him throughout the world. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 speaks of that day. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who know not God. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. We're reading about the last day. Lightning flashes, flaming fire, retribution, destruction. What a great, what a dreadful day that will be. But part of its terror will be that it is sudden, it's unexpected, without warning. Now the Bible describes this in other places, in other ways. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 2 and 3 declares, The day of the Lord will be just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety. 
then destruction will come upon them. Did you hear that? The world is at peace, safety. It might be at a time of great economic uh, advancements and everyone is happy and everything is going well. Peace and safety. And then, like a thief, he'll come when no one expects him. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus gave an example, a story of a, of a master who goes away and he leaves one of his servants there to, to take care of business. But that slave was unfaithful. And he says, oh, you know what? my master's not coming for a long time. And so what does he do? He, he becomes lazy and he begins to live wantonly and having parties. And then Jesus said, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know. And he will destroy him and cast him into outer darkness. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour, but it's coming. Now, some people foolishly think that his delay means that he has changed his mind. Or perhaps he's just canceled the day of judgment altogether. You know, it's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come. Maybe he's not coming. But probably, whether he's coming or not, probably won't be in my lifetime. And therefore, live it up. Delay is from our perspective because the Lord has, before the foundation of the world, has already determined the day. He's already set the day. He's already set the hour. And it's coming. And it will be here on the exact day that he planned, not a day, not a day before or after. Second Peter chapter 3, uh, there Peter also says that the Lord will come like a thief. And then he says the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, his delay is not so that you can play, so that you might get ready. Jesus is graciously calling us. Whatever your view is, you could be an all millennial post it doesn't matter. The, the main point here is that he's calling us to watch for his return. And beloved, he's given us signs. And when the time is just right, he will come suddenly and powerfully like a, light, like a lightning flash. Now, you may argue and say, well, we're not in the last days. Well, you know what? We are in the last days. We're in the last days. The last days actually began when Jesus rose from the dead. Right now, Jesus is reigning from his throne in heaven. Joel chapter 2 Verse 28, the prophet there uh, announced and prophesied, it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Now in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached and he quoted that very prophecy of Joel and he declared that now that prophecy is fulfilled since the spirit was poured out upon the church. And then he said, you know what? We're in the last days. We are right now in the last days. That's why John could write in his first epistle, chapter 2 and verse 18, children, it is the last hour. We're not just in the last day. We're in the last hour, John says. <laughs> just as you have heard Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it's the last hour. 
We are in the last hour. We are in the last days. And, and Jesus' main point of this text is to warn his people against being unprepared and warn people against their carelessness. Noah and Lot preached righteousness, but the people of their day were unconcerned, and they lived their lives as though judgment would never come. But then, they were overtaken by a power of judgment that they could have avoided, but they didn't. Verse 32, Jesus gives a very powerful but terse warning. Remember Lot's wife. You know, Lot's wife was with Noah, or was with Lot. She was fleeing Sodom. But you know, Sodom was in her heart, and her heart was in Sodom. And so she looked back to Sodom with longing. And thus she met Sodom's destruction. The point, again, is warning us to guard against becoming worldly. The world will always be there to try to pull you into its net. Are you ready for judgment? The Pharisees saw all the signs that the kingdom was in their midst, but they ignored those signs and they missed the kingdom because they were looking for something different. And today, many people are preoccupied with earthly living that they ignore the kingdom of God. They're unprepared for judgment. I know many might laugh at this message when they ought to be listening. But the church today is proof that Jesus is coming again. That his coming will be sudden and unexpected. And how disastrous his coming will be for those not prepared. Now, my friends, listen, I'm not going to leave you just there. If, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that Jesus took your sins and your shame and your guilt to the cross with him and that he died in your place, if you believe that his blood can cleanse you of your sin and you come to him in repentance looking for his blood to cleanse you, then there's no need to be afraid of all this. His coming is a great joy. His coming is a comfort. Something that we ought to be praying for and expecting. But if you don't trust in Christ, if you don't trust in him, you're not ready. And Jesus warns what's going to happen. He warns what's going to happen. His blood sealed his warning. And so, let's get ready. <laughs> By fleeing to him now, because today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, again, some very interesting things. We didn't touch on all of it, Lord. There's so much in your word and there's so much in Jesus' teaching about the, the present age and about the coming of the king, Lord. But Lord, today we heard a message that said that we need to be ready because he will come in judgment. And when he comes, it will be too late to repent. Let us be like Noah. Let us be like Lot. That when the judgment sound is made, that we enter into the ark, that we flee to the mountains. 
O Lord God, have mercy upon us and upon this generation, Lord. We pray for revival. We pray for revival. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit that we might live in this world boldly and that the word of God may have greater success. Lord, we're seeing a decrease. We're seeing a famine for your word. But Lord, that doesn't mean that it's the end yet, does it? It may. I don't know. But Lord, you know. But we pray, oh Lord, for revival because that's our hope. Seeing your spirit poured out upon us. Preparing us for greater hardness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well,